0: You ever fail? Are you listening? Damn. Uh.
1: Yeah. Uh. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to We Built an Empire. I'm your host, Kyle Wolf. I am here with uh, someone I don't really think needs introduction. Um, but, uh, she is the host of reflect forward and industrial theory podcast. She's the CEO of stone age here in Durango, Colorado. And, um, without further butchering it, I'm going <laughs> to let her introduce herself. My friend, Carrie Siggins.
0: Yeah, oh, thank you. It's so good to be here, Kyle. Very excited.
1: Yeah. I'm so glad you uh, decided to come on. It's something I've been, I've been looking forward to and, um, you know, I was reading, just trying to kind of get up to speed on where I hope this podcast can kind of go. I usually don't format it and I still don't, but I was like reading some things that I just was made aware of and never knew about you. And it was so just like, I am overwhelmed with the ability to sit here and just talk (laughs) for an hour and be like, Oh my God, what's, what's this all about? So um, for those of the listeners that don't know you, um, even if they do, Uh, Would you mind kind of just giving us a little bit of your background, take us as far back as you want, or and we'll see where this thing goes.
0: Yeah, totally. So uh, I grew up in Montrose, so I am a Western Slope, Colorado girl at heart. I spent my whole life, born, like literally born and raised in the same house, trying to get out of Montrose. Uh, And when I left, I said, I swear I am never going back to like a small town ever again. And here I am in Durango for 16 years. Uh, But, uh, but my heart is definitely in Colorado, went to went to school of mines, um, moved to Austin, Texas after I graduated. And that's where like life really began. And, uh, and how I actually ended up back in Durango is that uh, after college, I developed substance abuse issues. And, um, and my life, like just crumbled. And so on Labor Day of 2006, everything came to a head. Um, I overdosed and I called my mom and she had moved from Montrose to Durango in 2001. And so she said, come home, but you have got to get your shit together. (laughs) And uh, and I knew it. I knew I had way more potential to do to to be to do to be to to feel than what I was feeling. Um, My life had just gotten really off track. And so that's actually how I ended up back home. And, uh, it was really tough for me because, um, so I was a high functioning addict. Uh, I'm incredibly driven, uh, very success and achievement oriented and, um, and that can, you know, be, be very damaging. And, uh, so it was not my idea of success at 28 years old to be moving back in with my mom and going back to a small town in rural Colorado It's like, I swear I'm never going to do it, but coming back here saved my life. And, uh, and I got my job at Stone Age. We can talk more about that. Uh, but really, it was it was it was coming back to my roots that really made a big difference. It, I had been so disconnected of trying to get away from my roots that I I underestimated the power of being home. So I'm really grateful that I'm here. So 16 16 years in November, I've been in Durango.
1: Wow, that's awesome. So yeah. what did you what did you? Um, graduate, what's your degree in from Mines?
0: Uh, Mechanical engineering and business econ. Okay. So I went to Mines because I I got in a little bit of trouble when I was, I'm a boundary pusher and I got (laughs) a little bit of trouble. And when I was 16, my mom said when you're 18, you're out of this house, like your behavior is just unacceptable. And I don't care if you work at Walmart for the rest of your life, but you cannot live here. And I was like, you don't think I'm going to college? She's like, you don't go to school now. Like, why would I think that you're going to go to college? Like, how are you going to even get into college? I always got good grades, but I just didn't always at the bare minimum to get by. And so I said, okay, well, that is not (laughs) what I want people to think of me. And so I decided that I was going to put my head down and um, get my life together. I was going to go to Colorado School of Mines and I was going to, need to get a softball degree or softball uh, scholarship. And I made that happen. Um, but I I was always living my life for other people. And so because when you do that, like you don't pay attention to like what's really going on around you and who am I really and where do I belong? It was always this like achievement oriented um, mission that I had for yourself for or myself achievements for others for myself okay. oh yeah no like this was definitely very self-centered Um, approach of I mean I was always helpful I was always a leader but it was about me and so when I came back you know quite honestly I was filled with a little bit of shame even though I was relieved to come back home because I had spent all of this time like trying to build myself up to be this person who I clearly wasn't <laughs> But anyway, I'm not that same person anymore. I've done a lot of work, but it was um, it was really humbling. It was really humbling, and I had to start taking a deep look at myself and saying, who am I? What do I want to be? Why do I make these decisions? Why do I care so much about what people think about me? Um, how can I l- use my leadership, my drive, my personality for good instead of for negative, for bad, yeah. for boundary pushing?
1: That's interesting. I mean, it's a lot of the people I talk to on this podcast, you know, I I haven't spoke to them in sometimes a decade, Mm -hmm. sometimes 15 years. And they, at one point in time, were really good friends. And for whatever reason or or not, they're no longer in my life. And some of it's good and some of it's bad. Um, I could have self-pushed them away and, or they, you know, without telling me, pushed me away because I was doing something they didn't want to be around or agree with. And, um, but it's, there's a commonality between a lot of folks, especially that, I, I don't know if it's because we live in a small area and there's this, this like need, this desire to, you know, kind of grass is greener on the other side and push to see. I mean, it, it, you know, naturally people do want to see the rest of the world. Um, but when people are met with having to come home, oftentimes for not good reasons, it, it's a very, defeated mentality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I've, I've experienced that twice. Uh, The last one was the, was single-handedly the largest time coming back fully, fully defeated. And it's very, it is humbling, but at first it's humiliating. At least it was for me because when I left, I did have a business and I had a lot of connections and those people didn't go anywhere. They're still here. And so when you come back, you know, and you're leaving is kind of almost a middle finger in the air, like I'm doing something bigger and better but it was, it was very difficult to come back and, and look those folks in the eye. And I had changed the career path. I was going, instead of being an electrician, I'm going to be this real estate agent. I just wanted something completely different. And to look at those folks going, well, you left here, um, you know, as an electrician and this, and it was kind of an FU sort of mentality. And now you're back and saying, it's, it's like, almost you feel like you're humiliated yeah. that you're doing something new. And it, it's taken me, I'm still not 100% comfortable with talking to people that, especially if I know them from the past, like really well, um, cause Durango is a small community, but if I have to talk to them and I'm like, I'm doing this now, it's almost like there's anxiety behind that. And I'm going, holding the breath and getting through that conversation. And it's, I'm just slowly starting to feel proud of myself. And so I don't know if you felt quite that same because you you weren't from Durango. Right. But I still can imagine that you had to have experienced. Oh yeah. that same like fight through the defeatedness.
0: Oh yeah, especially leaving. I mean, people were like, "You're leaving Austin." I had a great job. I mean, I hated it, but it was high paying. A ton of friends, and they're like, "You, you're going to a small town, and you have no job. Mm-hmm. Like you're live with your mom. Like who are you, <laughs> and what have you done to carry?" Um so yeah but the good thing for me is that I left and I didn't have to face it. But I think the big thing in this conversation is that we are trained so much to worry about what other people think of us. And that is the work that I have been doing over the last 16 years is to say what does it matter? You know, if I'm being if I'm a good person and I'm making a big impact in the world and I'm kind and I'm generous and I listen and I'm thoughtful and I'm helpful. And if somebody doesn't like what I'm doing, why does that matter? And, um, and I think it is, it, it can be, it can, it, it can bring a shame, it can make its hold back, it can, you know, we can diminish ourselves, because we're like, Oh, I'm embarrassed to just say, this is who I am now. You know, that was me, then this is me now, or I had to go through a bankruptcy or addiction or a breakup or whatever it is that changes our lives. But What I've learned about myself over the last 16 years, as I've been on my recovery journey, is that caring what other people think about you is probably one of the most self-destructive traits that we can have as human beings because we don't live our life fully, right? We hold back. We feel embarrassed when you should have no shame. Mm -hmm. Like the whole, like, this is what life is, right? We don't ever look at life and go, go, oh, gosh, that was so easy. I learned so much from that, right? It's falling flat on your face. It's Mm -hmm. making, making mistakes, taking, having missteps in your life that, that helps you become a better, more full human being if you choose to. So, uh, you know, we are not alone in how we worry about what others are going to think of us, but I think that that's where some really good work can be done is how, how do you let that go so that it doesn't matter? Cause sure. what matters, do you love yourself? Yeah. And are you happy? And if you are in that, then you're going to have a ripple effect in the world.
1: Sure. Yeah. I think, you know, I hate to go back to it again, but like I've, I've talked, talked on this a couple of times in some other shows, but I've had a lot of guests that are, that are good friends. And, and I think part of it is the fear of, the fear of being on camera, the fear of talking, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of publicly, even though it's just me and you having a conversation, it'll get out there. But right now it's just me and you. And, but there's a lot of, I feel like people have, whether it's because it's, you know, society driven, they've kind of built up this, uh, you know, I think I called it to a friend the other day, like a, like this, this facade of like who they are. Yeah. And that can be in real estate. That can be in whatever walk of life or career path you're in. It's like you build up, that version of who you are. And all of a sudden it's like, what, what you do is defining you. And so it's people, people are very reluctant to come on here because it's like, it typically takes, you know, 25, 30 minutes for people that are a little bit uneasy to kind of get into that groove. And then I can slip in a question and I'm not just trying to bait somebody and okay. something. I just want to have an honest conversation. i want to know that real person. Cause that's what intrigues me about this, but people are scared to come on here. And I constantly go, are you scared or are you scared of what the public is going to find out if you say something that's truthful Mm -hmm. and it's a shame because most of the people are like, well, yeah, I can't, I can't, that, that's not me in my job. And I'm like, I know that's not you in your job, but I know the real you Mm -hmm. and I think it's beautiful. Yeah, I think it's lovely. What's wrong with the world. And so that, you know, there's that, that common ground of like exactly what you're saying is like, people are so afraid because they built up these walls Mm -hmm. so they can share with the public something that they are in one facet of their life, yep. but they're not a hundred percent that. You know, when they get off work and, you know, they're popping the bottle of wine or whatever, and they're they're they can be themselves. A lot of people are so afraid of the world to see that, yep. and that's you just asked me before we got on here. Like, the more often that conversation comes up, that is the biggest reason why I want to do this because I did have to come back here defeated. You have had to go somewhere defeated mm-hmm. and you quickly realize, and it's hard to admit to yourself that like you're hiding from who you are because you want the world to accept you. You want even your best friends to accept you, right? You're you're molding to fit that little group or that niche or, or you know, that crowd. And I truly think that the reason I want to do this is because I want to let people know who I am. I, mean, I don't care about telling my story to people. But I want someone to know, like, if they come to me and, and they're going to do real estate or they're going to come to Durango or, or whatever, or they're a guest coming on here, listen to a couple episodes. That's who I really am. Yep. And And it will absolutely have a monetary impact probably on my business. And it could be negative. But that's okay because I've told myself that if who I really am is not good enough for somebody else then I have to live with that you know and I think that that's that's a problem and I don't know if it's a mental health issue but it's a very big problem in society and I I don't know how I mean obviously you you do public speaking you do everything to kind of get that word so to speak out there like self-help self-love you know how can we build you maybe it's from the ground up maybe it's after you know falling on your face I watched some of the interviews that you've done and it was like like this is a guiding step, you know, like you could listen to Carrie and like, this is how she did it. And maybe it's not exactly how you do it, but the guidelines are there yep. and you could follow this path, but it's like, still you show a lot of people this and they're so afraid. Yeah. So I, like, there's gotta be a deeper rooted question as to, you know, how do we get people to be okay with who they are?
0: Yeah, I, I hear you. Well, it's something that, I mean, I work I have 185 employees and my biggest wish for them is to be real, right? And I think that is what most people miss in this whole thing. And it's because we have such a negative perspective of ourselves. And we're so worried that that if we are real, people aren't going to like us. And those stories that we tell ourselves are usually wrong and negative um, and detrimental, but we all have them. But if you look at, I always tell people this, if you, like people who are afraid to speak, right, um, I get that. And, but when a speaker goes on stage, they admire them, right? They're like, oh, there's so much courage. I could never do that. Well, I can guarantee you that that speaker has felt that way before too. It's the same thing about being real and authentic. It's, you can, we all love real people. The reason why my employees love working for me, most of them, not all of them, but most of them (laughs) love working for me is because I am real and, and what you see is what you get and I'm going to have a real conversation with you and I'm going to tell you how I feel and I'm going to ask you how you feel and people like that they want real we everybody wants real but then all of a sudden when it comes to ourselves we're like oh well no one's gonna like the real me so I have to be this other person So it's really good to think about those things that you admire in other people and don't think that you can do yourself and remember that they have those same things too. And they're still up there doing it, (laughs) even though they have fears and, and worries of judgment and, and self doubt and all of that too, but they're doing it. And that means you can too, but the stories that we tell ourselves are so detrimental. They're always negative, usually always negative, right? They're always about demons instead of angels And it really does hold us back from going after our dreams. And I am living my very best life because I am going after my dreams. And if people don't like me because of it, that's okay. Because if I make a difference in one person's life um, because of the way I share my story or a podcast or a guest I have on or an article I write or because of a conversation like this and I've done my job and the 50 people who go like, well... Like I had somebody write on YouTube a couple of weeks ago that I am a high functioning dumpster fire. <laughs> right? And I'm uh, like, fuck, ouch. Like yeah. that hurts. And you know, and I'm not. And I know I'm not. I know I'm not. Um, am I everybody's cup of tea? No, but I am not a high functioning dumpster fire. Sure. But I still had to pause. It's still stung. Yeah. But it's not like, you know what? No, I am not one person didn't like what I have to say, but I had 50 people reach out after and say, that changed my life. I sure. did this because of it. But you know what I remember? High-functioning dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, and I, I had heard this interesting quote that said, they never make statues of critics. There's no statues around of critics, right? Yeah. It's people who did things. Maybe they weren't good things, but people who put themselves out there and did things. Sure. And I love that. Not that the goal is getting a statue, but... You have to remember critics, they don't, they don't put, they don't, they're not the ones making things happen. Yeah.
1: Nobody's remembering that. You remember it, unfortunately, but you know yeah. what? The, the, the comments are brutal and it's often said, I mean, that person is more than likely suffering. Maybe they didn't, yeah. uh, you know, agree or or maybe they disagreed with what you're saying. The fact of the matter is like, they probably could have cared less about what you were actually saying. Exactly. And it was like, how can I get, how can they mm-hmm. get an emotional response from you yep. and, that's negative most of the time, you know what I mean?
0: It was about them. That was not about me. Like whatever, like you don't have to like what I had to say. You don't have to like care for my story, Sure. but a personal attack is that's about you. That's not about me, but it, that takes, that's like decades of work, right? Uh, Carrie at 28 would have been crushed. I would have said, that's it. I'm never doing it again. And that's the work of, it's just one step at a time of figuring out how do I, expand my zone of competency how do i push myself a little bit more sure. out to get to to expand my skills my knowledge to put myself out there it doesn't just happen overnight you do it one little step at a time
1: yeah yeah and those are oh, the comments god <laughs> I <bet> they're brutal <laughs> yes yeah, sometimes uh oh, man you listen to them or you look at them and you you again you feel defeated oh my god what am i yeah. gonna do i just don't
0: read them you know yeah. what like the, the best thing is i think it's this is the healthiest thing post just don't read it and it. walk away just don't read know? it yeah, if someone writes something shitty, like just don't. Yeah. Just don't read it. And um because all it's going to do is fill you with self-doubt. But if you're if you're doing something that makes you feel scared, that means that you're on the cusp of doing something really important. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be people who are always going to detract, whether yeah. it's kind good-hearted people, well-meaning people who are like, Ooh, "That's a really big risk. Are you sure yeah. you should do that?" or people who are trolls who don't know you and say mean things. Um, they're always going to be that. And you, you literally have to put that aside and say, what do I want? Sure. And I'm going to take one step today, even if it's just a tiny little step to get to what I want.
1: Sure. I think the, um, you said something is there like the, the risks, you know, like, um, I, I don't know why, um, I've always kind of been a, a huge risk taker and, you know, before, I failed miserably at my you know previous company. It was like I still took big risks, but I think a lot of people think that if they fail, they'll never recover. And it's you know it's I mean it's hurts yeah for sure. I mean it's it could be a stigma for a while, but you can get through it. So I I honestly wish that more people would take bigger risks. Oh yeah. And I mean I understand that like you know like you have to provide for your family, and maybe some people are in that position. But I mean if if it's a podcast or something silly, you know, it's like, just get on the mic and go Definitely. like do whatever. I mean, the, what's the worst? And I think I read this the other day, I was going to bring this up and I'm glad you did, but it's like, I think mean, your comment was what's the worst that can happen yeah. and what's the best, yeah. right? Like the best always in my mind outweighs and I'm super optimistic. Always, always. And, and those little, those little slivers of pessimism will slip in, but it's like, I mean, what's, what's the absolute worst? Is this going to kill you? That's the worst. If it's not You know, I mean, we could say a couple of choice words right now about that, but it's not, it's not going to kill you. It could set you back a little bit. But if you don't take that risk, you never know. Yep. And if all of a sudden somebody does something similar to what you were thinking and they succeed, you'll always question it. Yep. You'll always be like, God, why didn't I do it? Or damn it, that was my idea. You know, I love that comment you had. It was like, what's the worst and then what's the best?
0: And what if I do nothing? Like to me, that is the worst, right? Doing when nothing. you're stuck, like you're like this is a crappy situation, and I am unhappy. You know, I I want to I want a new job, I want a new career, I want to move, right? Whatever it is, and all those fears that you tell yourself about. Well, I'm not going to get a job, I'm not going to do all these things. But oh my god, staying stuck <laughs> like that. I, I, a podcast guest that I interviewed yesterday, Ron Carson amazing. Everybody has to listen to this interview. He is just so fun. Um, But he made a comment. um, He said, most people are just trying to die safe.
1: Oh, that's good.
0: (laughs) Most people are just trying to die safe. And that is so true, right? Okay. You know, do I have enough for retirement? How, you know, all of that, like all these worries just to make sure that you die safe like I don't want to die safe. God,
1: dude, what a horrible existence. I know, right? When you look at that from a very like 30,000 like we're trying to die safe. You know, the, at that point like if that's like in your brain like truly you're fixated on on yep. the end. You don't get to enjoy the process at
0: all. Nope. You yeah. don't get to
1: learn or grow.
0: That that's what we do, you know. And maybe that's a, that when you're when you're stuck in in a situation that you're where you're unhappy and you feel stuck. You're not thinking about dying safe, but what's holding you back is basically that. Because sure. you, what you're doing is you're basically working backwards. Well, if I make this decision and it doesn't work out, then this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and I'm going ha- to not going to have anything, and you know, and I'm mm-hmm. going to die. Um, and it is. It's so true. You know, we're so many people just are are playing it safe to die safe rather than going. You know what? Like for me, if I died today on my way back to Durango, I would hurt for my son right? Who doesn't have me in his life, but I would not regret. Like I have lived life and I have so much more ahead of me that I cannot wait to do. But if I died today, I would say I did some really, really good things in this world. And I have made up for some really bad things that I did. And some of the bad things I did are some of the things I'm most grateful for because I get the messiness of life. I know what it's like to be like at rock bottom. I know that good people do bad things. I know that bad people have redeeming qualities. <laughs> like we are all just trying to figure it out. And I'm so grateful for all of those. So if I go tomorrow, like I've lived 44 years and it has been a wild, amazing ride and I wouldn't have regrets. And I don't know that a lot of people can say that at 44. I would right? say
1: the vast majority can't, right. you know?
0: Yeah. I've done major things with my life. Like I've gone after my dreams and and when people ask me that, like, like, you know, why are you so happy? How do you have so much energy? It's like, because I said, I I almost died. I don't even know how I didn't die. When you have a new chance at life, like, what are you going to do with it? And that's what I said. What am I going to do with it? <laughs> and I'm going to live big. Like, I, I, I'm here for a reason. There's no reason that I was by myself on the floor of my apartment in Austin. There's no reason that, you know, I was shocked back alive. Yeah. Something shocked me back alive. And I, you know, once I got myself together enough and got to Durango, I was like, all right, I'm going to figure this out because I shouldn't be here. Hmm. So what am I going to do with it? So everything from this point on has just been a gift <laughs> yeah. of life for me, sure. in my opinion. Yeah. So go for it, right? Yeah.
1: I think that's a really good way of looking. I mean, I, I you know, I, I've never been in that same boat, but it, it truly is a gift every single day. And it's yeah. hard to look at it like that. And, and I, I know that people are going to hear this. And they're going to say, oh, well, you know, maybe Carrie has more money or maybe you, Kyle, have more money to do this or whatever. You don't have to have any money to wake up every day and go, you know what, I'm I'm glad to be here. You may be down on your luck or you don't have all the means that that person next door was born with or whatever. But it's like you, you don't have to have anything to wake up and be grateful that you have the opportunity to do
0: something. Nope. I had $100,000 in credit card debt when I moved here. <laughs> $100,000 in credit card. No job. My friend Joe Phillips amazing human being, um, who helped me like get myself together to be able to come back to Durango. Let, let Bart, let me borrow $2,500 to be able to get here. Wow. I had no money, even though I was making hundred thousand dollars. I mean, I literally, I, I was so miserable in life that I was partying. I was shopping. I drove way too expensive of a car. I lived in an apartment in downtown Austin. Like I was living so far over my means because I wanted to like portray this image, mm-hmm. I had nothing, I mean, it was, I was not successful. I was broke, $100,000 in credit card debt. So you can do it.
1: (laughs) What, What did you do in Austin? What was your position?
0: Um, so I went to work for Eaton Corporation. Eaton's a huge manufacturing company. I worked for their electrical switchgear oh, cool. division. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I got into operations management. And then I had a boss tell me that women can't sell technical products. So I left. <laughs> and I went to work for a high-end um, IT, boutique IT recruiting company, placing software, um, software engineers, software developers, um, data warehouse engineers. And that's how I learned about... Um, ERP systems, technology, software, uh, building teams, recruiting. And then, um, yeah, and then I overdosed and, and came back to Durango. So when I applied for my job at, at Stone Age, they were looking for a general manager. And I had this boss, only good boss I've ever had. He was so amazing. And he was my boss right out of college. And right when my life started to kind of fall apart. And he told me this, he said, Carrie, because I was trying to figure out if I was going to stay, leave, um, I I didn't like my job. And he said, let me tell you this, never wait for a boss to help you with your career. Like you are in charge of your career. You are in charge. And if you're waiting for a promotion or you're waiting for a job or you're waiting for someone to call you, you're going to wait forever. Mm -hmm. So you don't ever forget that you're in charge of your career. So when Stone Age had this ad in the paper back in 2006 for a general manager, I was like, well, I've never I've done all these jobs because I had mm-hmm. at the the office for Eaton in Austin, San Antonio was about, I think, between 25 and 30 million dollars in revenue. Stone Age was much, much smaller than that. I didn't manage that group um, like by title. I did by influence. Um, but I was like, I've, not, I've done all these jobs. So even though I've never like actually had the manager title, I've done all of them. And if I don't get the job, maybe I'll get my foot in the door for another position um, because I have the right skill set for what they're looking for. But if I wouldn't have had that that boss, Mike, tell me, you know, you're in charge of it. Like I would have been like, oh, I'm not qualified for that job. I'm not going to apply for it. And just
1: never even applied. I
0: never even applied. But mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to bet on myself. And um, and I'm determined to change my life. And so. I'm broke. I'm at home with my mom. I'm, you know, two months here with no job. Going like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I might just have to wait tables, um, which I did not want to be. I did not want to be in any of the service industry and anywhere near where drugs might be. Um, And so it was very scary, but. You can do it. I literally, I mean, I had my mom and thank God she let me live with her for for two years. But in two years, I had myself completely paid out of debt and I didn't make that much money. Mm. But I just, at that time, I just put my my head down and was like, I'm living with my mom for two years. I am going to make the most out of this. Mm. And literally two years from the day I pulled into Durango, I closed on my first townhouse. Nice. But that was it. I was just so disciplined in saving my money and, and paying off my debt, um, So you can, you know, I know people, uh, people can say that actually somebody left a comment the other day, too. I say I don't read comments, but I do. Someone left a a comment on one of my YouTube videos the other day. Um, I was talking about self-care and they said, oh, but she failed to mention that she flies first class every time she's out of Durango. Like that stings. Right. Like, you know why I fly first class out of Durango? Because I fly 100,000 miles every year out sure. of here. And thank, thank, thankfully, United upgrades me on that flight. I never would ever spend money on buying a first, first class ticket ever. Like to me, that is so incredibly wasteful. I fly to Europe um, in economy yeah, <laughs> uh, unless I get upgraded. Um, but like they have, people have that perception. Oh, well, like, you know, like she can afford self-care yeah, because it's easy,
1: easy for you to say, exactly,
0: because, yeah. exactly. Well, no, that's not true. You yeah. know, because you don't actually know, you don't actually know <laughs> what's yeah. going on behind it. You don't know the sacrifices that I make for my family on my own physical health, because I'm trying to build a company that can create a thousand jobs for Durango, mm. <laughs> Right. Like that's, that's the vision here. It's not about myself. It's about this bigger thing, but people immediately want to go to like, Oh yeah. Well, you know, what yeah. is what does she know? It's she has easy it easy. You, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I, and I hope that doesn't sound ungrateful. It isn't like, but the whole thing is, is that people are always going to have a specific, a, a judgment about you yeah, and they don't know you and that should not stop you from doing, from living the life that you want to live because everybody's going to have some sort of judgment and they don't know you and you can't control that. So sure. why are you going to live your life in fear of a person who doesn't know you saying something versus living the life, yeah. life that you want? Yeah,
1: no, yeah. absolutely. Um, I, I do want to take a step back for a second. I thought it was interesting because, um, you know, a lot of the kind of uh, powerful woman that I've had on this podcast. Um, I brought this question up before, but it's interesting that that gentleman at the, the Eaton facility in mm-hmm. Austin said that to you, um, you know, that women, I don't want to paraphrase it, but you know, that women can't sell, can't sell tech. Um, and I would, uh, obviously I think a lot of people have seen it um, personally. I've never felt it, but um, I do think it's, you know, widespread in the tech industry um, in the electronics industry um, you know, as far as the inequalities towards women, especially in the managerial level or positions. So I'm really intrigued, you know, at at your level, maybe not necessarily specifically at Stone Age, but living and breathing in that industry, do do you see the inequalities? Um, I mean, is it kind of... Is it, is it still there? Is oh it yeah.
0: Still Especially in my industry. I mean, we're yeah. in like industrial cleaning. Right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's like the dirtiest <laughs> of the dirty uh, industries. So it's mostly men, but, um, but I am really, I'm really pleased to see how many more women are. We were at our first trade show since, you know, since the pandemic in in October. And it was great to see so many more women in sales positions mm-hmm. and man- managerial positions. So it's definitely happening at Stone Age. I'm really proud of like more than 50% of my executive management team um, are women. And we, you know, we've got, we've got half the women, half of our sales team is made up of women. And I believe that that's because of me, right? We, number one, I'm looking to, I'm encourage women in my company like you can do this you can sure. do this you can do this uh and I think it's also like a good role model people say well okay look if all these other women here at Stone Age are doing it why can't I um but I would say now so yes definitely at the beginning people like I even had somebody tell me like I don't again that whole technical like this is just way too technical of an industry and I'm like I went to Colorado School of Mines come yeah. on yeah. <laughs> really uh but basically saying like you're a woman woman he's like I can't believe that John and Jerry hired you um, you have to be you have to be technical to make it in this industry. Um, so you know, but here's here's how I so I I look at it this way is I am never going to let that be what deters me or also what motivates me. Like I don't want to go be like, okay, well, I'm gonna go prove you wrong and do this in spite of you, right? I'd spent a lot of my life doing that. Um, but I also know that I'm not going to let a ignorant comment like that tear me down. So this is this is me and actually somebody told me that it was insensitive for me to say this but it's how I live my life is that I am going to choose not to see it. <laughs> Even if it's there, like I'm just not feeding into that narrative in my own head you, and in my own life. You of, mean
1: they're they're saying that because you're not helping the situation? No, like, like
0: a, yeah, yeah. Like that As not, far
1: as women, the inequality between women yes. and men, by you not saying anything, you're actually exactly. causing it to be prolonged. Exactly.
0: That I'm telling yeah. I'm telling I'm telling other women that they shouldn't care that they have been discriminated against because they're a woman. I'm like, I, that is not what I'm saying. I'm saying the way that I deal with it is I don't acknowledge it. I don't acknowledge it. Like, that's great that you think that I'm going to do my own thing. And I am sure that there have been times in my life that I haven't gotten that I have been discriminated because I'm a woman. I have chosen to say, that doesn't matter. I am going to do things in my life. And and if I have a roadblock, then I'm going to figure out how to get around it. And if that's not, path that I'm going to go, then I'm going to go this way. Right. When that gentleman told me that a woman can't sell technical products, I didn't sit there at stay at the company and go, oh, he's right. Or sit there and be angry with him. Like I'm super grateful that he said that to me because I left and I branched out and I gained all kinds of great new skills because he said that to me. A lot of women you know have fear, right? Or I can't leave this job. Um have all kinds of past trauma that 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 holds them back from being able to say, no, I'm going to go do something different. I get all of that and I don't I want to acknowledge all of that like everybody's on their own path, but yeah. my path was great. That's a roadblock. I'm going to do something that's different because I'm not going to be held back. So You know, when that woman said that to me, I'm actually really glad that she said that because I wouldn't want anybody to feel that I am dismissing their stories Mm -hmm. because there are there are so everybody has their own unique story. And there are so many women out there who have gone through horrible things and who have been horribly discriminated against. And I would never want to dishonor their stories. My story, though, is. I am not going to ever let that be part of my narrative. I didn't get something because I'm a woman or I was given something because I was a woman. I'm doing it because I'm a hard worker. I'm smart. Mm-hmm. I own it. I'm accountable. I know how to look at myself. Um, honestly, I, I trust me, I know my flaws. <laughs> I, I know them deeply um, and love myself through any of the adversity that comes my way. Like that's the story that I'm setting for myself.
1: That's insane. You know, I, I see where that lady was coming from. Totally. You know, I'm I'm a man. I can't be like, oh my God, you're not helping out the cause, Gary. Um, You know, but I talked to a friend of mine the other day, actually, uh, he was on the second episode. And I told you before the show started, he's very much, uh, you know, south side of Chicago, pro black, keep it black, but build back into the community, you know, and we talked heavily on that same topic of conversation around like colorblindness, right? But it's interesting. He and I are really, really great friends. He he is one of those few people in this world that has kind of graced me with his presence. And for some reason he, or another, he just has this flow throughout life that I, I admire. Like I really aspire to be like, and I'm like, but we talked deep about that. And it was like, you know, you and I are never, we don't talk about race. And it's almost like when it's he and I, or my wife and the kids, and or he's his his girlfriend has flown out, and we're all it's it's not like that, yeah, you know that being a different setting, you know, at a restaurant in Chicago, it would be completely different, you know. But I, I thought it was interesting because like he's like yeah, I mean, there's definitely settings that I've been in with you where I think we're both colorblind. Mm-hmm. I mean, we both know that we're different races, but we're not bringing it to light. We're just friends. We're human beings. We're kind to one another. Um, and, but it, it was interesting because he, he was very similar in the concept of that lady that he's like, there are folks out there that will be a hundred percent angry about us talking about this right now, because by me not making sure that you're aware that I'm a black man and I've suffered in this country because of X, Y, and Z, I've done the cause wrong versus being a general human being and saying, I agree or disagree with you. I I love you as a friend. I'm staying in your home. You know, it's so it's, it's interesting that people can't look past sometimes the fact of like, we're just, we are humans. And nobody is saying that there's not inequalities rampant in certain industries all over the world between men and women. Nobody's saying that, you know, there's not injustices between different races because yes, it's absolutely out there. It's prevalent. But it's like almost like what is the context of that setting? You know? So I, I I think that I, I agree with you, not necessarily on the equalities of women, but if I can kind of correlate that back to colorblindness a little Mm -hmm. bit, you know, I understand that there's race. I understand that there's all kinds of issues, but I may not have to choose to, you know, overly acknowledge it at that moment in time, if the situation doesn't dictate it right now, you know, that can change (laughs) per moment. But, um, you know, another question I had, you know, and I've, I've often wanted this and it was really, I was talking to Justin Osborne the other day and I I think that Durango is such a wonderful place to be. I think that a lot of people overlook it. If maybe they've been here too long, they want to leave. It's a beautiful place. There's a lot of great human beings here, but it is a place that I think the majority of the public kind of have to sacrifice usually on a pay scale side or the cost of living to be here, to be able to be in and breathe that beauty. Um, we talked about a lot of the the professors at Fort Lewis who could go to Denver or anywhere else and make mounds of money more than they do here. And, you know, off air, we actually kind of talked about Stone Age. And I've often wondered, I mean, we did a, we did a job years ago, my electrical company, we, we put in some backup generators and, spent a lot of time up there and got to, you know, have Saturdays with Jerry. And it was, it was, you know, it's a good environment, but you walk around at the facility here, it's a great place to be. Everybody seems happy, but I've often wondered, like, it has to have, like, it seems like to me that it would be more beneficial for Stone Age to be in Houston. Oh, for sure. You know? And so I'm really, really, really curious as to, you know, why stay in Durango?
0: Yeah, well, beneficial in the sense that we're closer to our customers, but we wouldn't be Stone Age if we weren't in Durango. Like we we're a collective of of all 185 of us, and so uh, if I picked up and moved the company to to Houston, you know, the majority of people would be like, no, I'm staying here in Durango, <laughs> sure. and um, and it's the people that make Stone Age so unique. I mean, you're right. When people walk walk around our campus, you. Our, our employees exude happiness and appreciation, and they are proud of the work that they do. They have meaning and purpose in their lives. Not not everybody, but the vast majority of people do, and so that's what makes us special. Yeah, it's hard here, and we pay our people very well. We're employee owned. Um, in fact, just um, on on December thirty first of twenty twenty two, we bought out the rest of John and Jerry's shares, so we're hundred percent esop owned now so it's a hundred percent the employee's company like i want everybody to say like this is my company like i say this is my company right to a machinist in the machine shop like you need to say like this is my company and so what we're creating i mean we pay well we have profit sharing we have outstanding benefits but what we're trying to create through employee ownership um is are two things one an opportunity for true wealth creation that you can be loyal to a company, stay with a company, um, uh, add value, and you get to share in that value you create. You get to share in the success so you can truly have a, a, a way to build wealth, right, so that you can live your dreams. But more importantly, um, well, I think that's really important. It's a basic fundamental need, and it's this income equality is a big reason why we're in populist movements around the world. But even more importantly than the financial piece is that when people work at Stone Age, they become better human beings, right? They get to have opportunities to live their dreams. They can have meaning in their work. They can work with people who they like and they feel valued and appreciated. So not only when they look back on their career, whether it's five years or whether it's, 40 they can say wow that was the best place i worked i got so much out of this i learned this about myself and um and you know we're not for everybody like this way i run the company isn't for everybody we're fast paced we're disruptive um you got to be you got to work hard and you got to be self motivated and you got to be willing to look at yourself and say how am i showing up mm-hmm. first before you start pointing the finger at anybody else and that's not for everybody and that's okay um, but boy, those people who put in, like they're going to get met back for, with the company. And that's just such an unusual culture these days, sure. right? Um, where the company can give back as much as the employee puts in. So we can't, I don't think we can do that. Like, especially now, like, we are Durango. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, the, we we have a lot of employees, out, employees outside of Durango. We've got offices all over sure. all over the country, all over the world, and and we're going to keep growing outside of Durango. But it's just who we are at a, our core. And if we left, like we wouldn't be Stone Age. Sure. Yeah. So the
1: mantra would, would now, be less
0: now. Now we're in a lucky position that we have a product that we can make and sell in our business model works here mm. and we've had to work hard to make our business model work here. Not everybody can do that. Um There are certainly challenges that are, that are, that are t- tough to overcome too, too difficult for a lot of people. Luckily our industry, our niche, you know, has allowed us to to be profitable enough to, to make it work. But I don't know. I mean, it's just Durango is who we are.
1: Sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um So in, in that kind of self mantra that you've got when that, when, that boss told you don't, don't allow the manager to don't advance, wait, don't yeah. wait to advance your career. Yeah. What do, do you bring that into your managerial style now?
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, so I look at it two pro uh, two pronged, right? One, I always want to be a man, like my m- we promote from within mm-hmm. and I believe that a leader's number one job is to inspire their employees to be their very best. And you've got to constantly be developing people and building people. It's, it's my number one job. Um, in fact, someone asked me, um, on another podcast I was on earlier this week, like, what's the number one thing that you, that keeps you up at night. And I'm like, how I make people feel (laughs) like if I'm going into a hard conversation, like I overthink it because I want to do it right. Or if I screw up and, you know, inadvertently hurt somebody's feelings, like I take that very seriously, like all the world problems, you know, (laughs) is there going to be another COVID? Probably. Is there going to be another war? Probably. Is there going to be another recession? Probably. Are there going to be supply chains? Probably. Like those are the problems that CEOs just deal with. And I am not taking that stuff home with me. Like, those are just the day to day problems. Like if you're going to be a CEO, you're going to deal with those problems. For me, it's how do I make people feel? And I take that very seriously. And so like, that's how people centric I am. So for me, I get great joy out of helping people reach their career goals and pushing them to do things that they didn't think were capable that they were capable of. But I never, ever take the responsibility fully, mm. you know? This is on you, sure. and what do you want? And I tell my employees that, like if you want something, go after it. Like yeah. we, are, we have career development plans, put what you want yeah. in your career development plan. Even if it seems crazy, like you're in charge of your career. Even though we have that in our, like in the intro to our career development plan. Like you are the number one driver of your career. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, so I think it takes both. Like. Mike, my my boss telling me that, um, he was helping grow me and guide me. Sure. It was some great advice and he was developing me along the way, yeah. but he was just saying like, it's not it, it, like, it's 10% my, my job. It's 90% yours. Sure. Yeah.
1: I think, um, you know, when I, when I had my company, we were terribly small, but I always kind of went into it with the thought model of like, I think it's good on me as a manager, as an owner, if I do you know, every three year cycle, you know, when somebody comes in, especially if like they were a new electrician and they learned and went through the ranks and got Mm -hmm. to that next level and maybe they left and wanted to start their own thing or whatever. Um, a lot of people were like, I can't believe they left or I can't believe they, after all those years, it's like, well, it's actually not a bad thing. It's like, it's in a weird way. It's like, I I feel like I kind of did my job. Like I can't expect to have that guy work for me 20 years, you know? And if he did, am I really helping him out? Am I kind of, you know, pushing him out of the nest is like, and so, I mean, do you think it's good to kind of have a certain amount of like, I would equate it to like growth loss, right? Absolutely. I mean, you want, you want to, Obviously you want employee retention because you you need the people there, you need the core, but I, I think it's healthy. I mean, you kind of agree with that in a sense? A
0: hundred percent. I want employees working for me who want to work for me. If you don't want to work at Stone Age anymore, I will help you. Like we have what we call mindful transitions and paid quit. Like you would come to me and we've had people say that fa- like the pace here is just too fast. I can't do it. And so instead of being like, oh, you have to put in your two week notice, or even on the opposite side, when someone isn't cutting it, it doesn't have to be a, okay, you're fired. Like, let's have a mindful transition. Like, let's talk about this. If it's not the right environment for you, like, let's just have an adult conversation. And you stay while we find somebody else, I'll give you an extra month of severance. And it will, you know, it can be a win win. Um, I want people who want to we're, like that's the only way that we're going to achieve our vision um, of a thousand millionaires yeah. uh, is to have people who want to be there on part of this journey. Um, I totally believe that people should leave and follow their dreams. And if you are not fulfilled in your role or you want to try something new, you want a different culture, you want, you know, to start your own company, you want to move. I support that 100 um, percent. We just had uh, an employee down in Houston resign um, this week. And I emailed him today and I said, hey, I'm so happy that you found a job that's going to be really fulfilling for you. Congratulations. Like, I'm bummed you're leaving, but I'm way happier for you sure. for yeah. finding, finding a position that really feeds your soul. And he was like, thank you so much. Like everybody here has been so encouraging and like, that's how it should be. It shouldn't be like someone puts in their two week notice and we're like, oh God, what? So Ugh, nobody you nobody know? talks
1: to him for the rest yeah. of
0: the Yeah. I mean, and obviously like, okay, we need to dig in and understand, okay, we w- you know w- in an exit interview, w- why, you know, why wasn't this fulfilling or, you know, what could we have done so that we can improve as a company, but Sometimes, you know, things just run their course and that's okay. Like you were talking earlier about friendships, right? Like if we all can understand that everything is temporary, everything, right? We're all just renting. We're renting time. We're renting relationships. We're renting jobs and, and that things are going to come and go and ebb and flow. Then we have so much more, we have so much less suffering because we're not attached We're not attached to material things. We're not attached to our job. We're not attached to this person. Everything is temporary because we're all going to die. Everything is temporary. And so why don't you just celebrate that time and then say, okay, the next cycle is here. And then that way, we don't have to hold people back. Mm -hmm. And people also feel like they don't have to hold themselves back because, you know, they feel like it's disloyal or, you know, there's fear or those things everything in life is temporary.
1: Yeah. That's an interesting concept. Uh, I posted something the other day and it, I don't know whether it was well received or not, but, um, it's a line out of peanut butter Falcon and, uh, that mm-hmm. the gentleman's asking with the other character, and you know, he was like, we're going to die. He's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to die. That's not the question. The question is the stories you're going to leave behind, yeah. you know, let's go. You know, it's just like, I always, I always chuckle every time I see that. And I think like I posted like four or five times and it pops up every once in a while. I'm like, man, that is absolutely the truth. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, yeah, that's a, that's a really good concept. I haven't thought about it like that. You know, it's all temporary. It is temporary.
0: The reason yeah. why we suffer is because we're attached to things. Yeah, that's why we suffer. Um, but that's really hard. That's really hard concept and something that isn't easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's why we, it's why we fill our lives with materialistic things because you know we think that that's somehow going to give us happiness yeah. and it's not, it's, it's just, that's a hard, that's a
1: hard one. The material thing I think bit me and I talked about that. I I won't go into detail, but it bit, it bit me hard. You know, again, I think going back to how you were living in Austin, like you've got these things and you're clearly living beyond and it feels good for a second, but it it feels worse when you start to realize that like, Holy shit, I can't afford this. And I'm the money in the bank. What am I going to do? I can't pay for this. You know? And then when I hit rock bottom, I, I realized like, you know, would I love to have a new vehicle? Absolutely. I think it would be great. But I'm okay with driving this used truck for now, yeah. you know, and nobody ever has, you know, I think I said in that interview with Eric, a friend of mine, and he was, it was like, nobody's ever judged me. Nobody, no, no <laughs> clients ever hopped in my truck. and am like, oh, this is used, <laughs> you know? And so, but it's silly. I mean, and it's silly on purpose, but because if you look at it like that, it's like those, those things are so material. Yeah. And that's a dangerous road to go down. When I kind of realized that, I still do like nice things, of course. But you don't need everything. No. Nope. And it definitely, you know, for lack of better terms, it shouldn't ever be keeping up with the Joneses. Nope. Because again, I think that's going to start to define you. you yeah. Know? And it's just like, um,
0: well, it's you become your thing. Like, you like exactly. Exactly. Like, well, I am a good person, or I am a successful person because I have these things. No, mm-hmm. you are not your things. You know, you're not your thoughts, yeah. you're not your job, like you are you and there's all, so th- th- I like nice things too, sure. but what I've learned is I am not those things. Absolutely. Like if I lose everything tomorrow, I know with 100% confidence that I'm going to be okay. Yeah. I know what it's like to lose everything. I built my life back up. All of that stuff doesn't matter we're going to be okay. And my son, I have a 10-year-old son and he's he is a little bit of a worrier and he was like what if what happens like what happens if we're homeless? Like right when Purple Cliffs was getting shut down and um <clears throat> and we watched this video that they made that was trying to show like hey, you know, the people at Purple Cliffs are humans too and so I wanted Jack to see that because he has a lot of fear around the people at Purple Cliffs and I was like you don't have anything to fear. Um And he's like, what happens if we lose our home? I was like, we're going to be a hundred percent. Okay. Like, you know, Jack, it's not going to happen, but if we do, like, we're going to figure it out. Like, this is just a house. We're not our house. And so I'm trying to help him even understand that, especially living, you know, he's growing up privileged very differently than the way (laughs) I grew up. Right. Single mom, Montrose, Colorado, poor. Um, But that doesn't mean that I still, I'm still teaching him these lessons about this is just stuff. And it doesn't make you better than having it doesn't make you better than anybody. It doesn't make you a good person. It doesn't make you successful. It's just stuff. Yeah. But it's, that's just such a hard concept, especially in our capitalistic society where accumulating more stuff is how the economy grows, right? We are programmed Hmm. to want Things to identify with things because that's how our economy works. So, it's pretty ingrained in us. Yeah, (laughs) there's there's (laughs) no getting around it
1: at this juncture. But oh, so
0: can I ask you about your your failure? Do you feel that it was because you took too many risks, or do you feel it's because you let your ego take over?
1: No. Um, I think the risk was okay. The, the big catalyst that happened is, um, so the the, the single you know, kind of pinnacle point was we had policies and procedures in place, mm-hmm. and my partner and I broke those. Yeah. Uh, we were two separate sides of the state, and we had these in place. I mean, I came from a corporate management background, and I basically took our handbook and I rewrote our policy, even though we were at the time a three-person company but I knew that we would grow and we, we broke our own policies, which was basically a two check, two check policy and we didn't do it. And unfortunately we underbid a job by like close to $300,000. Mm-hmm. And we were such a small company at that point, couldn't yeah. gotcha. have the capital and it just destroyed us. But the more I got into it, you know, at first, you know, you're, you're very angry and you're like, oh, well, he did this, or or she did that, or you're pointing fingers, because you're just trying to make sense of what the hell just happened. I just went from having a million dollars in my operating account to dead broke and losing everything, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it it took me a solid, so that was 2017, so it took me a solid three or four years, and honestly, being in Texas, really depressed to get past the fact that nobody made the mistake, um, but that I think, I knew what needed to happen, and I didn't take a risk. I just didn't follow the rules. Gotcha. You know, and yeah. I am a rule breaker. But when I've set them in place to protect myself and my <laughs> yeah, company, right. and I break them, you're like, "You son of a bitch!" So, um, you know that that was kind of what happened. It, it wasn't the risk. We did grow too fast, and and you know, bless their hearts, we had a lot of local organizations that supported us um, from a financial stance, mm-hmm. um, and they'll probably never forgive me. Uh, you know, if I see him on the street, it's still a handshake. Um, but there was a lot of people that did lose money and, you know, we did create jobs. Mm-hmm. We did exactly what we were said to do. And, but I will say that it wasn't a greed thing. I, I go back yeah. to a lot of times that it was a capitalistic mentality because when somebody comes to you, you know, at that time, I mean, Alex is gone anyway. So, and he sold his company, like we had the lion's share of Alex Kogan's work yeah. and, but I came from well and gas, right? Yeah. So we also had a ton of work in oil and gas. And so we're doing this like teeter-totter, like branching out. And I wasn't familiar with that world. And so it's like, um, you know, it was hard to turn somebody down if they come to you and say, hey, I really love what you did. I'd like to go ahead and give you all this work. The Glacier Club, for instance. Mm-hmm. We had a contract with them. My I, par- I, I should have just left these eight guys there mm-hmm. for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And this would be a completely different conversation. Yeah. Period. But it's hard when somebody comes to you and says, look, I've got, you know, this $3 million job. Yeah. I loved what you guys did on this one. And would you be willing to do this? Okay, yeah, I can do that. And all of a sudden I'm going back to region nine and going, look, here's a contract. I need I need another 10 guys. I need this. And then they're funding it and we're doing crowdfunding. Yep. It's hard to say no. Yeah. And that is, that I think a little bit ego driven and also a little bit selfish as well as the capitalistic Exciting. side of me. Yeah,
0: you're was, excited. Like I'm gonna yes, grow. Like this growing, is growing, really growing. growing. But I knew
1: we were growing, too, growing yeah. too fast. You know, I knew it at my heart. Like we went from, we were from start to finish. We were like three years and a quarter yeah. open to close
0: Yeah.
1: to watching the banks come and grab 15 of my trucks and start to just liquidate, physically mm-hmm. liquidate all of my stuff out of my warehouse. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we, we had, when we closed the door, we had 28 employees with three office admin and I was barely keeping up with the workload we had. Yeah. I didn't have the cap. I knew it. You know, I had run businesses in the past, but it was with somebody else's money. Yeah. That's like monopoly. Yeah, You know, that's yeah. to yeah. me yeah. like, granted, I'm, you know, these were, you know, the, the company I left, we they were valued at 1.2 billion right before I started up my company, but I was playing with huge dollars yeah. and it never hurt me. Uh-huh. I remember the first time that we did something, it wasn't a huge loss, but it was like, let's call it, I mean, I say it wasn't a huge loss. For this company, it wasn't big. It was about $150,000, $200,000. And it was a mismanagement part actually on the end user, you know. And so we were able to kind of fight and share mm-hmm. some of those losses. The owner of the company flew down from Canada, and he always showed up in denim jeans and usually a T-shirt with a sports coat, always smoking cigars. Coolest cat you've ever met in your whole life. Comes into my office, only the second time I've met him. I talk to him all the time. But I never met him in person. So he shows up and I'm like, oh my God, Don's here. What's going on? And um he's like, I'm gonna tell you a story. He's like, here's the deal. I I love making money. I hate losing money. He's like, the first time I lost a million dollars was when it really made sense to me. You can make fifty million, but if you lose one million, it's a bigger hurt than any gain you'll ever take. Totally. And I'm like Okay, so I, you know, like I worked for them for three years, you know, and it's like I had all this stuff ingrained, but I still don't ever go back to the risk. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was because of the risk. I'm comfortable with risks. Mm-hmm. I would take that same risk tomorrow. But the thing of it is that the risk that I take tomorrow, I have all this history behind me right. to be like, you do not do this. You do mm-hmm. not do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing, One thing I would do differently is make sure that I've got a team around me mm-hmm. um, in a, in a, in a positive manner. Um, Cause I took a lot of the burden myself mm-hmm. in that company. Cause yeah. I was afraid that if I didn't do every single little nuance that it would fail, yep. you know, or I would give somebody a chance and they would fail. I was setting them up for failure. Mm-hmm. You know, I, they, I knew that they didn't know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. You know, why would I, why would I expect a different outcome?
0: Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And
1: so no, I, I've thought about that so many countless nights. I don't think it was the risk. And I would take the same risk tomorrow.
0: Yeah, you just do it different.
1: Yeah. I would just do it different. You yeah. have to learn from your mistakes. But um, the kind of crazy weird thing about it is, is I want absolutely nothing to do with that industry. And I kind of came to that fruition, I I like to say, is coming out of that depression that I experienced in Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, I I knew... That I, you know, for a lack of better terms, I didn't actually do this, but I didn't want to turn another light bulb. Yeah. I didn't want to do electrical. Yep. I had to recreate myself, I think, to heal. Yep. I really do.
0: And maybe to find the right path that you're on, right? I mean, yeah. running a business, like, I'm a, such a believer in this. If you are running a business out of, from coming from a place of scarcity and fear, yeah. like, there's such a chance that you're, you're either going to burn out because you feel like you're the only person who can do it, right? I have to keep control because if I don't have control, it's going to get out of control. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you're never going to be as successful as you could. Um, But maybe it was meant to get you on a whole different path, right? And those are the lessons that we don't learn until later on in life, right? And you have to get through falling on your face and and the embarrassment, the depression, all of those things that – that it can bring and then rebuild yourself. Then you can sit there and say like, "Oh, okay, this was really good." Like it it took me many 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 years. I mean, I didn't tell anybody about my overdose sure. for years, right? I was I was embarrassed and there was like I can't be the CEO of this company and have had, you know, ad- addiction issues. Um but boy, like when I did, then when I when I finally shared it for the first time and it created a safe space for other people to open up. And we had this like unbelievably vulnerable um, team building meeting with my executive team. And I started to realize like, I don't need to be ashamed of it. Like, now where I am, like, I'm so grateful for it. Like, thank God mm-hmm. I did that. Because if I didn't, who knows? One, I might have actually died the next time, but I wouldn't have been on this whole different path. In that mo, in that first couple of years, though, it was bad, yeah. right? I'm rebuilding. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm trying to get clean. You know, all of these things that just make you feel terrible about yourself. Now, 16 years later, and I'm living my dreams, Um, and it's still not easy, right? I'm still working my butt off and, and making sacrifices to, to create the life that I want. I would not change any of that. That instant set me on the path that I was supposed to be on. It took me many years to be able to see that though. Yeah.
1: What, what drove you towards. So I don't know if I'm wrong in saying this. Are you addicted to your work? Oh, definitely. Okay. Yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah. And I don't mean that negative. Like, it's, I think it's one of the only things I'm good at being addicted to. Yeah. Is work. Whatever (laughs) I'm doing, uh, I, I, I just, you know, Simone will tell you opposite of like, sometimes you need to just take a breather. And, and I've become better at it, but I love just doing. I love being present. And sometimes that has a sacrifice because, like, you, you walk away and you're like, oh, I'm not being the best dad right now I can be. I'm not being the best, you know, spouse I can be. Um, but then I find myself being like grabbed by the work or doing whatever. And it's just, it, it is my addiction, mm-hmm. but I'm curious what drove you to wanting to do the podcast and wanting to get your story out there. Cause like, I mean, w- I mean, we know each other a little bit because mm-hmm. obviously our, our kids were on the same soccer team, but you know, I didn't know that about you. And I, I wasn't sure that we were going to be able to talk about it. Within the first 30 seconds, you're like, boom, 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 let's go. <laughs> cards on the table. Right,
0: yeah, it's, it's why and, I'm here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but
1: so it's yeah. interesting that, you know, you didn't bring it up. And when you, when you did, finally, you felt like it was like whew, this yeah. release. But what drove you to go the podcast route to make this story public? Because mm-hmm. that's a way bigger deal. Yeah. Because now you've got... All Stone my opinion, Age and CEOs. But everybody then, knows. Yes, everyone out here in the world.
0: <laughs> yeah, everybody knows. That's a
1: big – going back to our concept earlier, right? Yeah. That we don't want the world to know yeah. the real us. Uh-huh. That's uh-huh. a huge leap. Yeah. So what well, drove you to the podcast?
0: It's an evolution. It's been an evolution, right? It wasn't – it's not just like this just has happened. Like my storytelling has just happened overnight. Um, that it started with that first instance of telling uh, my team. And then um, – you know, it, of course, starts to get out. And then a couple of my employees came to me with, like, severe issues and saying, I don't know who else to talk about. And then I realized, like, wow, because they know my story, they felt safe enough to come and talk to me. And I've bailed people out of jail. <laughs> I've <laughs> flown people back from Vegas after they got all their money stolen at a strip club, um, you know, because they feel safe to call me. And that's when I started to, to realize, like, hey, this is – um. Sharing my story really actually helps people. It helps people go like, okay, wow, I, I have a safe place to go because she's going to understand instead of judge me. And so then that, that's just kind of how the evolution the evolution happened. And then I was at a um, – somebody had asked me to speak. I can't even remember where it was now. And I was – in front of it was like an intimate group, probably 20 or 30 people. And, um, and I, I just came out with it. It was the first time, like I had told it like publicly like that. Yeah. And, uh, and it was just, I was just in the flow. <laughs> and, um, and then after our, we got done, so many people came up to tell me their stories and I was like, okay, wow, this mm. is, this is something that, that is the people are interested in something that can make a bigger and bigger impact. Um, I've always been a writer. I started writing my book I decided I was going to put my story in my book. Uh, and so getting it you know, written out and working through all of it, lots of energy work, lots of therapy, like I got good at telling the story. And I am a storyteller, like it's you know, my gift is words, um, whether it's writing, whether it's speaking, uh, And I could see like, okay, this is turning into something that could be super impactful. The podcast kind of came about a different way. I didn't start the podcast because I wanted to get my story out. I started industrial theory mm-hmm. um, for the industrial cleaning industry. So there's so many amazing people in our industry, but we're looked at like as janitors, right? People like you see the sewer, the guys cleaning the sewer lines, right? With the big, the big back of the big trucks mm-hmm. out there looking down the the manhole and you're like, yeah gross. Well, let me tell you something. Like if you didn't have those people doing that job, your life would be horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and we need to show more gratitude to the people who do the dirty jobs that keep the world running. Sure. And so I decided to create a podcast where people could tell their stories uh, and, uh, in our industry, and it blew up. Everybody loved it, and I had several people coming and saying, "Hey, I'd love to come on your podcast," but it wasn't in the industrial cleaning industry, and I really wanted to keep Industrial Theory on brand. It's mm-hmm. for the industrial cleaning industry. Um, and so my marketing team was like, why don't we just do a leadership podcast? Like, this is your passion. You're so good at it. You're working on your book. Let's just do it. And so, um, so that's why I started it. It was never about getting my story out. Um, it just now happens. Like, that's how we connect, right? We connect on the, on adversity and overcoming, um, hard things. And, and so, a podcast a podcast has always been actually about getting other people's stories out the only reason, so my podcast, I have a, a guest on one week and then I have a, what I call advice from a CEO, which is a solo. And the only reason I did that is that everybody was like, you have to have a weekly podcast. Yeah. Like if you're going to get the, the listens up, like you have to do it. Well, I was like, I don't have time to interview people, <laughs> it's, right? It's work. <laughs> it's hard. And yeah. so I was like, the only way that I can, the only way that I can do a weekly show, a weekly show is if I just do my solo episodes. Anyway, it's a huge hit. People love it. Um, uh, where they, they get the interview and then, you know, they get whatever is going on. Like, it's usually something that's going on in my life, what I talk about. Um, and so that's really what it was. Um, why am I doing all of this? I'd love to run for governor of Colorado someday. And so I have to practice, right? You have to practice. Like, it's not just going to happen, especially being from the Western slope. I have to make a name for myself. I have to practice speaking. I have to be prepared to talk about my past because it will come out. Absolutely. And so, you know, and whether that door opens and I decide to do it or not, the amount of doors that have been opened and the amount of people who have been able to get help or be inspired because I've shared my story, like that's worth it. Mm-hmm. But all of this is just practice for what comes sure. next.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, uh, you know, like theory to long form conversation. Anyways, you know, mm-hmm. um, there's been people oh, yeah. like I got a text the other day from a good friend who was like, "Hey, I needed to text you directly and just have a, even a text conversation because I've been listening and I feel like I've been talking to you, but I haven't talked to you in six months." And I'm like, "It's all right, man. It happens." You know, like I get it, but it it does keep people like a, a in a weird way, like auditorially, there there has like a different impact on people. They yeah. feel like they're in that communication with yeah. you, and I become such a nerd for lack of better terms on like really analyzing. I mean, there's, there's obviously the huge names out there that are, that are great at the way that they articulate a conversation, but I got, I heard one the other day and it just, it struck me and I'm sure my wife was just so sick of me being like, I've got to finish this episode. Cause like you get 10 minutes here and you listen and it's a two hour long show, but the, the, that episode was, it was so beautiful and the way that they were talking and the guest was, you know, fluid. It was like this dance, this waltz. And I've always loved talk radio. I've always loved podcasts. But doing it in person and in practice, um, the really good ones, you know, like I, I have such an appreciation for people that are great at interviewing yeah. and just talking. And, articulating. Oh, yeah. and it really is a true art. Absolutely. But it's dangerous because people – are seriously they they get infatuated at times because they feel like they've just had a two hour long conversation oh, yeah? with you. Absolutely. So from a situation of you trying to practice this and getting out there to the public, that's an advantage. I think if you actually would were to ever run for governor of the state, I think that's amazing. But people will have catalogs of conversations with you. Yep. 20,000 hours that they'll have already been able to listen to you. Yep. Who you are and you may have slipped up and you may have said something, but it's hundred percent honest. So yep. It's like you said it first, right? You exactly. know, if I said it first, I beat everybody else to the punch and you already know about it. So
0: Exactly. I mean, I
1: could have a huge benefits down there.
0: And, ring. you know, I don't necessarily want to get into politics, but you know, we to to get to that level, you have to sell yourself your soul a little bit, right? Because that's how big money works. What what, with the documentation of everything that I've written and everything that I've said, it's going to hold me accountable to not doing that. Like if I ever, if I get into politics and actually succeed at a higher level, it is not going to be because I saw my soul. I've sold my soul (laughs) for things before, and I'm never going down that path. And so, and and that's why I don't know if I could ever make it right. Um, But it is that accountability piece that's out there. You know, I look at people who you can change your mind, right? I, one of my favorite books is as persuadable, like how great leaders are changing the world by changing their mind. Like, it's so good. Like people, we, we get way too entrenched in because I think it, it it's true. Sure. That's not true, right? There are a million truths that can exist at the same time, but that whole thing of that happens, like you're on tape saying something. a politician's on tape saying something. And then they say, I didn't say that. I just am blown away that people have the audacity to just st- stand up there and lie. Mm. And so, like, I look at it as, like, it's an accountability tool. Like, all politicians should be required to do that, right? (laughs) Like, how do you hold yourself accountable to, like, who you truly are as a person? It doesn't mean that you don't evolve. It doesn't mean that you can't change your mind, you know. Um, But but who are you? Like, we need real people Mm. running this country, running our states, real people, not people who only care about saying and doing things that get them elected. And unfortunately, the system is set up that that's who wins. But that is not what this country needs. We need real people um, who are honest and who can say, look, this is how I believe. This is how my belief system is structured. But I totally understand that the other Mm -hmm. side believes this way. That's great. Let's honor it. And let's figure out how to come up with a solution that moves us forward (laughs) instead of makes us hate each other. Um, But I don't know. Yeah, it's just not it's not where we are. But maybe maybe some things will change. I mean, you know what has happened in the last two years here has just been profound and i i like for the first time feel like democracy might actually like be winning <laughs> um <laughs> you know a lot of autocrats uh, have fallen on their face yeah. you know putin has it was like is happening in iran look at what i mean you know chi just completely dropping um zero covid like i think the world is seeing that you know autocratic leaders are not <laughs> So don't, don't actually run better countries like sure. democracy as messy as it is, um, is really the best for the people.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I, people will probably hate me for this, but I agree with that. You know, unfortunately, <laughs> I mean, I do, um,
0: I don't know who's going to hate you for saying that you love democracy. Uh, I mean, you
1: know, there's <laughs> those folks out there. Their comments will probably be raging, mm-hmm. but
0: um,
1: <laughs> no, um, one thing i i just want to add to that and I'm not trying to take away from anything but I, I think it's healthy for people to truly change their minds oh yeah life. absolutely it's, it shows growth
0: yeah
1: um I mean ideologies are great I get it that they're at people's yeah. core they're the foundation they're your building blocks but if you're gonna die on those ideologies there's sometimes there's other lights out there that yeah. you know and so it's you can change your mind
0: Totally, and yeah. then you just have to say, "I changed my mind." Yeah, right. Saying, "Oh, I yeah, never said that." I read a that. Great book.
1: I read this article. I did my own research. I did something, and uh-huh. you know what? I still believe that what I believed at that moment was right yep. because I believed it. But I'm I'm slowly moving into a different exactly. light of that. Exactly. People are so fixated on, you know, whether it, not even if it's party based, but if it's just I believe this because you know what this is what I believe, and I'm not saying that that person's wrong or anybody's wrong, but you shouldn't be afraid to venture. And and be like, you know what, maybe if you're questioning it, chances are you're questioning it for a reason, you know? I mean, if if it's not fundamental belief at your core and you're thinking about, you know, maybe they're right, maybe read a book.
0: Always be willing to, you should always be testing your thinking, always be looking for the best possible information so that you are analyzing the situation the best. And then when you change your mind, say, I changed my mind. Like I got this new piece of information, right? Don't just sweep it under the rug or, you know, lie about it. Just say, I changed my mind. We all should. And I'm even okay with people being entrenched in their belief systems. It's that you then take it and say that somebody who has a different belief system is wrong is evil is sure. bad no we just have different belief systems <laughs> and if we could even just get to that point right where because there's going to be there the world's filled with people who are not going to challenge their own thinking um but how can we get to just to say that's great you yeah. don't believe it that's fine i'm gonna live my life in my belief system sure but I'm not going to force my beliefs on you or try to take away your rights or your several several liberties because this is the way I believe. Sure. Yeah. That's the hard part. Um, I am so comfortable with people who have different belief systems than me, different political belief systems, such different an spiritual. It's interesting conversation. It totally like, is. I, I don't understand why exactly. a lot of people don't
1: want it. I'm like, yeah. God, even if I walk away with nothing gained, at least I Got to see a different side of it. Exactly. You know? I mean, it's like, yeah, it's conversation. Yeah, just have fun
0: with it. It's being a person. Exactly, exactly. Well. Anyway, we could pontificate on that forever, but oh, it's the work that it's the work that that for sure we it, I think all of humanity. But if we just want to focus here on America and fixing our problems, because we truly are the greatest country in the world. I've traveled all over the world. I mean, there's some great places, but there's just nothing like America. There's no other places like opportunities. And do we have problems? Absolutely, but we could be so much better. We could be so much better. And that's what I hope for my fellow Americans, is that we can figure out how to evolve past this tribalistic thinking that we have entrenched ourselves in. Um, you know, Tribalism, um, you know, there's, there, there's good things that come from tribalism, but there's also some really bad, right? Tribalism goes to this mentality of it's us versus them, mm-hmm. where community, right, is about – it's about all of us in this together, where tribalism is about – you know about status it's about us versus them sure and i would love to get back to this idea of creating community instead of tribes
1: yeah well carrie thank you so much i think this was a great episode and thanks, uh, i had so much fun well, i'm so glad you came on so thanks for having you. me absolutely thank you
0: yeah absolutely Have you ever are you listening damn Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh.